Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. This is, I think, one of the biggest movie days we're ever going to have. I can't believe how much there is to talk about around the two movies we chose today. Plus, it's that end-of-the-year award season I know, I know. But let's let's get going, though, with our list of six. And this week, uh, thanks again to Melissa Cohn.Mortgage, who sponsors the list of six. We're going to do the book adaptions to films. And I'm going to start, because I always let you start, and that's very generous of me, but this week it's my turn to start. <laughs> Especially because I think my first one you may have already chosen, so I just want to get on the road with you know, it first. I think unsung generosity might be even more generous. But okay, you start this week, Hollister. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Gone with the Wind. Oh. Was that one of yours? No, but I did write my college application essay about the book. Well, one would have thought you might have chosen it then, but you don't get to talk about it first. I do. So Gone with the Wind. Okay, here's what's interesting. So it premiered in 1939. I saw it in, I guess, maybe 1968. I was in seventh or eighth grade in our class when, and that's how we kicked off a full year of American history. Wow. And then I remember seeing it with my daughter in the 80s. And the thing about this movie is not only is it timeless, it really, it was, it was, it was such an important film of its time. It premiered in Atlanta, interestingly enough. It got 13 nominations for Academy Awards, won 10 of them. And Hattie McDaniel was the first African-American person. She won, um, she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, but she couldn't go to the premiere because of the Jim Crow. Oh, laws. Wow. I mean, it, it, you know, the absurdity of it all is just huge. But also that book still is read. It still, you know, lasts the, the test of time. And so does the movie. I mean, the movie is not old when you watch it. It's just a period piece. So I start with Gone with the Wind. All right. So anyway, that's mine. What's your first one out of the gate? Okay. The first one I chose is the Joy Luck Club. And that is... Oh, that's a good I one. I loved that book. And you know that aphorism that just cracks me up that says, don't judge a book by its movie? After loving that book so much, I was a little scared to see the big screen adaptation. But I shouldn't have been concerned because Amy Tan also did the screenplay. I've loved so many things that she's written over the years, Kitchen God's Wife. And as an aside, did you ever hear that Amy Tan suffered from Lyme disease? No, I didn't. I saw her at a book reading once, and she said she had been on vacation. She got back to California, and she could feel that her vocabulary was shrinking. And sure enough, she had been on vacation on Martha's Vineyard. And you and I both know how prevalent it is on the Cape and Islands. Well, she wrote a good book. Okay, my second book is The Godfather. That's a good choice, Hollister. It's got to be, right? I mean, first of all, it's touted as, you know, many, many lists touted as one of the best movies. And certainly it's one of the few serial movies where um, Godfather 1 and 2 are, Godfather 2, some people think is better than Godfather 1, but the book by Mario Puzo in um, 1969 really, really, really was an amazing book. And then they brought it to the screen in such a powerful way amazing book, amazing film. I just, I I had to put it in there. It's funny because 
it's a very male-based film, but at the same time, I, I still think it's one of the best films ever. So I picked The Godfather as my second. Where do you go next? Okay, this was hard for me. I was going to do The Unbearable Lightness of Being, but the truth is, when I saw the movie with Daniel Day-Lewis, Juliette Binoche, Lane Olin, I didn't even recognize it as the book that I had read by Milan Kundera. So I thought, okay, I can't even judge it because I thought they were two such different animals. So instead, I went with something a little more contemporary, the Devil Wears Prada. Oh, I okay. thought the movie really. Wait, these are your three best books that have come to screen. That's right, well, right? I believe what we agreed on was book to screen adaptations that we liked. Right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And I okay. really liked The Devil Wears Prada. I read the book. You go, girl. I didn't see By it. By the way, I can watch that movie over and over and over again and never be sick of and it. And yet, how yeah, many times? How many times have you read the book? Uh, once. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my third is got to be To Kill a Mockingbird because um, I think it's one of the best movies of all time and it comes from the book. And I'm not sure the book would have the power it's had over the years without the movie. I think it's one of those perfect. The reason I chose it as my third choice is the combination of the two To Kill a Mockingbird, the book. And the film together, I think I think it's a perfect, uh, you know, it's like a main course and dessert. You know, they just go so well together. So I picked To Kill a Mockingbird, <laughs> which, by the way, we've done a we've done a full um, a full podcast on To Kill a Mockingbird. We should probably bring that up again this week because it is such an, uh, you know, there's so much to talk about around that book right. and the movie, which we did as an homage to Harper Lee before they released Go we Set did. a Watchman. Yeah, yeah, which. Eh, not as much, but there you go. Okay, since you mentioned To Kill a Mockingbird, you're going to think my choice is a little lightweight, but I'm still giving it to it. I think also, so far both of your choices have been lightweight. Not, even the Joy Luck Club? <laughs> no, please. Well, no, that's not lightweight. But, I mean, I, you know, I just, I, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I had a bigger vision maybe or something. I don't know. I really enjoyed the movies. Okay, The Hundred Foot Journey. Oh, oh my gosh, I love that. That's a great choice. I read that book and I did not like the characters at all. And as you know, in The Hundred Foot Journey, I loved the characters, I loved the tone, I loved the message. And it was written by Stephen Knight, who wrote Allied that we talked about last week. Well, there you go. So it's a perfect combination. And I know you thought I was going to pick Silence of the Lambs, right? By Tom Harris. I remember in our podcast about that, you you kind of mentioned how you crossed the street whenever you saw him coming. So, <laughs> no, I just didn't want him to know that I existed, but other than especially that, not around lunchtime. Um, but I do, th- you know, I, I would have chosen it, but I just felt like there were such big things to choose that I didn't go there. But if I could have had a fourth, I would have definitely done Silence of the Lambs. So it was a fun thing to do. And thanks to, um, to Lit Lovers, because we're going to use this as our Lit Lovers movies section this month. So Thanks to Lit Lovers for also pushing forward on any books coming into movies too, right? And I know Molly, who runs Lit Lovers, would totally agree with you on The Godfather. She would? Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, good to know. Yep. So I get a little backup there. Yes, okay, I like you backup. do. Now, do you remember Connor Hines? How can you forget Connor Hines? That was one of the <laughs> highlights of last year for me. Yes, well, very talented guy. Well, we interviewed him after his, uh, after his sensation on YouTube, Local, Local Attraction. attraction. Yeah, it brought him out to L.A. where he was writing a um, a series, the pilot for a series. And I just want you to know, he just announced that MyLifetime.com um, is, has just premiered his second season of 
um, of Local Attraction. They just put the first season of Local Attraction up also. So you can pick this up on my lifetime, uh, Dot com. You can actually go there and look for Connor Hines' uh, local attraction, and you'll see it. He's got the entire second season up, and you'll be happy to know that Trent comes back in season two, and he's at Harvard Business School. Oh, there you go. Yeah, based on uh, a series of Tinder dates where Connor Hines plays a different character in each episode. A great guy, amazing guy, and an amazing uh, um, job that he did. And he was, you know, so it's interesting is he's an actor and he just couldn't find acting jobs so he decided to write his own and that's how it all got started next thing he knows he's out in LA with a contract and good for him congratulations Connor a very watchable series yeah okay we're gonna move to Manchester by the sea oh my god we're starting with that one. No little warm up. No, no warm up. Okay. There's no warm up for Manchester by the Sea. No, there's, there's no warm up whatsoever. There's no warm no. down either, really. To be to be no, frank, no. You know, for me, it, it was a perfect combination of script, direction, and acting. I don't think you get any better than that. I don't understand. Which part are you having trouble with? Well, I can't be his guardian. Well, your brother provided for your nephew's upkeep. I think the idea was that you would relocate. Relocate to where? Well, if you yeah. look, I'm just a backup. Lee, nobody can appreciate what you've been through. And if you really feel you can't take this on, you know, that's your right. We have to start with Ken Lonergan because we have to go back a little bit to talk about him before we can bring you to Manchester by the Sea. Did you see Margaret? Did you see that movie? No. Okay, well, Margaret was has been ranked as one of the top 20 movies of all time. And it was, he wrote it and directed it, and it almost drove him crazy to the madhouse. Matt Damon, Mark Ruffalo, Anna um, Paquin is in it, and it took six years to get it to the screen because he couldn't edit it. it he, he put it out, it was three and a half hours, big arguments, Scorsese's involved, um, all these people are involved. And finally, it came out in 2011, but it almost drove him mad. And in the meantime, he borrowed money from, you know, one of his best friends he grew up with and went to high school with in New York, Matthew Broderick, loaned him money during this period of time. And if you see Margaret, you can so see where Manchester by the Sea came out. So what happened was Matt Damon um, was really worried about him. Yeah, John Krasinski and um, Matt Damon came up with the idea, and then they decided to hire him because he was out of money uh, to write it and direct it, and Matt promised him he'd star in it, but then he couldn't. And so that's how we get to Manchester by the Sea. But if you've seen Margaret, Margaret was released. It only went to the theaters for two months. I, after seeing Manchester by the Sea, went and watched it on... um, It's actually... Well, I, ha- I think I bought it on iTunes, but it's it is very painful to watch. But it's almost like the perf- you know the the Manchester by the Sea. It seems like there's always a story of an accident that could have been avoided, but changes the trajectory of somebody's life. So, so Manchester by the Sea is not that different from Margaret, but Margaret is one of the most you know, amazing films movie, I've ever seen. You know, another movie that Ken Lonergan did 11 years before Margaret that also reminded me of Manchester by the Sea was You Can Count on Me, which was the first yeah, movie I, I ever saw exactly. with Laura Linney and Mark Ruffalo. And when you read that tagline, it sounds very similar A single mother's life is thrown into turmoil after her struggling, rarely seen younger brother returns to town. And of course, Laura Linney was nominated for an Oscar for that role, and everyone is buzzing about Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea. 
And what's funny about that role is Mark Ruffalo stars with her in that. And when I was listening to Casey Affleck on the screen, I was listening to the timbre of his voice and I thought, oh my God, he has the same exact voice as Mark Ruffalo. And then when I went and saw You Can Count On Me, which I watched after seeing Manchester by the Sea, I had to laugh because it's the, you know, the same kind of uh, um, person in all of them. And in Margaret, actually, um, Lonergan is in the movie and so is his wife. And yes, who also appears at the end of the season in Divorce. So when Sarah Jessica Parker went to the premiere of Divorce with her husband, Matthew Broderick, his best friend, Ken Lonergan, and his wife, J. Smith Cameron, were seated on either side of Sarah Jessica Parker. And so J. Smith Cameron, she's going to appear in Divorce as well. And Matthew Broderick, of course, appears in Manchester by the Sea. Well, you know, it's all, yeah, it's all very incestuously tagged, but... But uh, Lonergan is really, I think he's, I think he's an amazing writer. His history is very interesting. He's the, um, his stepfather was a psychiatrist and his mother was a psychiatrist. And you can see the psychological aspects um, in everything that he writes for the film, you know. He's been nominated for a Pulitzer. He was nominated for two Oscars. He also wrote Gangs yeah. of New York and analyzed this. A very well, and analyze this. He said it came out of a conversation at the dinner table. Somebody from the mafia came in and wanted his stepfather to um, analyze him. So that's where that came from. But but he there's so much guilt in all of his work, and even even in analyze this, there's guilt. And one and one of the things is he says he's at a loss to explain the pattern of guilt in all his work, but he does not think that um, that all these men are disguised versions of himself. I don't know what it's all about, he said. I truly don't. I do have a hard time relating to heroic characters. I don't feel like I'm a very big screw-up, but I'm very interested in people who cannot overcome their own obstacles. I'm sure there's some personal reasons which I don't know about, and if I did, I probably wouldn't want to discuss them. But um, but if you think about it, in, in Margaret and in, um, in most of his work... There isn't. There isn't a happy ending to it. They don't overcome. Nor is there it was a happy that's... middle or a happy beginning. <laughs> no, but but usually, you know, whatever conflict there is during a film is overcome by the protagonist or the or the hero at the end. And and you know, he doesn't do that. And I think you know that that's really um, really interesting. And then and then you know, Mr. Ruffalo described the characters as outsiders, people you want to write off immediately, but who are really complex, actually full of integrity with different kind of perspective. And I thought that what Ruffalo was saying about um, about about the characters are is certainly true of Affleck in Manchester by the Sea. You know. You know, um, he's complex, filled with integrity, with a different kind of perspective. Didn't you think? Yes, but what you said is what made it so hard for me to watch, is that I'm left completely without hope. For example, I had recommended some short stories by Lori Moore to a friend, and I got a conference call from her from her book club saying, why did you recommend these stories? It's all about sad and broken people. And I didn't really know what they were talking about until I saw Manchester by the Sea, and I thought, okay, that was a parade of sad and broken people. When I saw the trailer... I immediately started rattling off how many movies I've seen where it's usually a sibling who has no children unexpectedly becomes a guardian of their sibling's child. So, for example, the fabulous German movie Mostly Martha, Love as We Know It with Katherine Hagel and Josh Duhamel, Kate Hudson and Raising Helen, even Auntie Mame. I 
think this movie had such a humongous tragedy in it that I didn't see coming from the trailer. It was too much for me. So when you said Kenny Lonergan said, you know, his characters can't overcome the obstacles, when Casey Affleck in this movie says, I can't beat it, it just ripped my heart out. I thought, okay, this is a sad and broken person where I don't know how his life is ever going to continue. I don't know how he ever gets over what he had to overcome in this movie. But I think that in a way is realistic for some people. I mean, I, I have, I have a few friends, very few friends who have gone through, um, the kind of loss that, that Affleck goes through in, in Manchester by the sea. And they are never, they, they don't try to beat it. You know, they don't try to regain a life. They go on and they try to, to get through life and it doesn't mean they don't have moments of pleasure. It just means that you can't, you know, you can't, you can't rebuild from that. I don't but, know um, how you ever could, but it makes it very hard to watch because at the beginning of the movie with the slow pace, kind of like certain women that also starred Michelle Williams, it felt like I was watching cinema verite. And when those movies that I mentioned all about the sibling who unexpectedly becomes a guardian, all of those are romantic comedies. So you expect a love interest and all of a sudden this person's going to be a parent and takes to the role. And I assumed Michelle Williams was in his future. But boy, this movie is not that tone of all those other Guardian movies Oh, but there is such... But he does bring humor. See, I... I, There's humor, but it's not a romantic comedy. uh, But but he brings humor into it, which was certainly what made me, not for one minute, feel like I wasn't only grateful to be able to observe what's happening in this man's life. And the humor that he brings in is very muted, but it's beautiful and it's funny and... Um, and the characters still have pieces of themselves, and and I just absolutely, you know, I was be, I, I I can't say anything other than I was grateful to have the opportunity to see this unfold in front of me. I could not, I cannot say it more strongly. I liked the sarcastic humor dynamic between Casey Affleck and his nephew. Where are we going to the orphanage? Shut up. Get in the car. Can't obey your orders until you unlock the door. Whatever you decide, he can always stay with us if he wants to come up weekends. Do you want to be his guardian? Well, he doesn't we want to already, be my guardian. We've for already Christ's got sakes, a house. We're trying to lose some kids, kids at this point. House? But honestly, when I came home, I had to just remove all sharp objects from reach. <laughs> and yeah, I, and you, maybe that's okay. Like, what are you supposed to only be entertained? Well, I mean, is that what you're saying? I went on my birthday, so I realize it's kind of a startling <laughs> tradition that I have that I have seen more than one depressing. Wait, what did you see last year on your birthday? Well, I have seen more than one depressing movie on my birthday about a plumber. It all started when I first saw Afterglow with Nick Nolte and Julie Christie. And now all of a sudden here, Casey Affleck starts the movie with a plunger. <laughs> okay, well, and maybe I thought, your birthday was. <laughs> I should have brought cake. I really should have. I mean, I was prepared for sad, but this was very sad. I mean, unspeakably, I don't know how you get beyond it sad. I, maybe I don't find sad sad, you know. I oh, you handle sad. it much better than I do. Well, you know, I mean, this it, the, maybe that's not a good quality in my in me, or maybe you know, I remember once, you know, um, I remember once talking to a therapist about people who are obsessed with the Holocaust, 
And one of the things he said is people who have been through very traumatic things find great solace in some in a trauma that's bigger. And so, and so I, you know, for me, it wasn't that this was, you know, I mean, I, you know, everybody's had, you know, sad things in their life and I'm just like everybody else, but at the same time, never been through anything like that. But at the same time, um, I thought it was so beautifully laid out and so beautifully written. And the one example I want to give of this moment in time where he gave me insight into the character was the bag of groceries, Mm-hmm. See, now for me, it was like, oh my God, who came up with that touch? Now, this terrible tragedy has happened while, um, while uh, Casey's gone out to get some groceries. And he comes back and he doesn't let go of the bag of groceries. And in fact, in the end, he hands this bag of groceries to his brother. Mm-hmm. He doesn't drop them. He doesn't. Nope. And, and it was like in that moment in time when it said to me, he is never going to let anything out again. He's never going to have an expression of emotion again. And while, you know, a guy has anger management issues when he drinks, clearly that's the only time he can let any emotion out. But that bag of groceries and the way that Lonergan layered that into both the script and the direction, because he did both, I think was genius. I think every little detail like that was beyond beyond compare, uh, you know. And so for me, me, just seeing that kind of artistic... Um, um, you know, credibility was, was awesome. <laughs> well, I, you know, obviously I didn't love the tragedy, but I appreciate the art of this film and I appreciate, for me, it was a release of something. I don't know what, but, you know, whenever I see something like that, I gain something. I gain more than I lose by, by watching it. And, you know, to sometimes me, it's I... it's the reverse. It didn't release anything. It was like yeah. a buildup of emotional yeah. lactic acid. When there was that scene where Michelle Williams stops Casey Affleck on the sidewalk and they have that conversation. I was just bawling. Oh, bawling. I'm sorry on your birthday too. I said a lot of terrible things to you. My heart was broken and I know yours is broken too. No, you don't understand. There's nothing it's there. Not true. Michelle Williams is very good in this kind of movie. Oh, she's very good in yes. I mean, but also she's, very she's good in everything. Pain. But can yep. I let's I was let's thinking point about that too. She, I was she like, can go to Ledger. a place Exactly. She can go to a place of realism. Now, the other one of the other things that Lonergan did, which I also, oh, my God, I thought. So there there's the funeral for uh, Casey Affleck's brother in the film. His brother played by Kyle Chandler. Love him from Friday Night Lights and Carol and so many things. Homefront. And he's yeah, he was in that amoral TV series in Florida. Yes. That one. Yeah. Bloodline. Yeah. But he was also the bomb boy in Grey's Anatomy. He got blown up by the bomb. Yes. He's very he's a very good actor and God, I think he looks good on the screen. But anyway, he's passed away and we're at his funeral. In the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Well, in my in my mind, he's passed away now until they resurrect him in something else. But at any rate, so and we're at the funeral. We don't hear one word spoken at the funeral other than between Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams. And the entire funeral is just music. And you're watching the conversations. And what was so brilliant about four minutes of that is you don't need the conversations because we've all been to funerals and we know exactly what those conversations were and we know what the eulogy said and we know, and it was sort of, it was almost really amazing to use a technique like that that I've never seen before. It is true. Directors have pointed out sometimes when you just turn off the audio 
it's much yeah. more emotional because people's where, brains. I seen, where have you seen a, a funeral service where you don't hear anything? Sometimes, for example, if there's a bomb and there's an explosion and you look for loss of life and all of a sudden you just see a silent scream, but you don't hear the scream, you don't hear the yeah. explosion. It's a similar technique. Yeah, I've never seen them show people talking but not be able to hear them. And to do that for four minutes where you're seeing conversations, but you don't hear them, but you're not mad that you're not hearing them because you know exactly what they are. Anyway. I was glad at that point. I felt I'm too close into <laughs> oh, this. It was like, rest. yes, yeah. I was a peeping Ochoa Tom rest. in this emotional <laughs> And meanwhile, I'm thinking of this as a technique that I thought was so brilliant. I just thought Lana again nailed it. Now, the other thing is um, if, you, if you do see Margaret, and I urge you to watch Margaret if you're going to go see Manchester by the Sea. Maybe I'll save and it for next year's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, you know. Well, it's actually in our iTunes account, so you can go. Thank watch you. I'll put a candle anytime on you it. want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you're gonna rush into it, right? But when you know the turmoil he went through with that, and he ca- he calls that his greatest work. You know, he thinks that was the greatest thing he ever did was um, Margaret. Even more and, so than Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, he says it's the best thing he ever did. But um, when you see that, and you know what he went through, and you know what it took out of him, and that it almost destroyed him. You know. He, bankrupt and all kinds of, you know, terrible things on the horizon for it. And then you see Manchester by the Sea. Manchester by the Sea has a lighter touch in some ways. And it's all relative. It's all relative. I know. Uh, you know what? I, I would urge you not to go to our iTunes account for a while. But you just stay away from it. I'm going to go watch a Disney musical. Out, okay? I, you know, my goodness. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it, you can see the growth he's had and that you that he can make some compromises. That's all I can tell you. But see Manchester by the Sea first and you then can go see Mark. Tell but... he's a Pulitzer nominated playwright. Oh my I God. mean Casey yes. Affleck and Matt Damon both worked with him um in one of his plays in the West End of London. And the acting in this, Casey Affleck has always been a great actor. I first noticed him in Gone Baby Gone directed by his brother, which, you know, uh-huh. back to our list of six, a fabulous adaptation of Dennis Lehane's novel. He is a very internalized actor where you just see these expressions ripple across his face and you can tell how much he's holding in, you know, what life has put upon him. So many people in this movie, Gretchen Mole, who I last saw in Mozart in the Jungle, plays the sister-in-law. Tate Donovan plays the hockey coach. Oh, great actors, yeah. And also the way the camera reads it all is very gray. You know, it's very, uh, you know, it's not exactly sunny. Um, all right, now the other thing that's interesting, now you're going to, uh, okay, I'm not sure you're allowed to respond to this, but not again. <laughs> My birthday continues, okay. I know, honey, I'm so sorry, but okay, so... So Lonergan said that he was inspired by the Marx Brothers. Really? <laughs> okay, You're going to have to clarify. Don't, I want to be generous No, I'm, I'm ready to be generous. As Matt Damon <laughs> said, he was just typically and freakishly generous when he let Casey Affleck play this part since he was going to start it himself. And now there's all the yeah, buzz well, around actually, Casey. Yeah, actually, he wanted to, st- he promised Lonergan he would star in it, but unfortunately his, his schedule wouldn't permit. Okay, so anyway, um, back to the Marx Brothers. So Lonergan, <laughs> here's Lonergan's quote. Okay. I want you to open up your heart and be generous here. Namaste. My okay, heart's ready. still open. It's bleeding from Manchester by the Sea, but go <laughs> okay. ahead. Okay. What does that say about mine? I have none. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't like it when things have no humor in them because it usually means they have no life, Lonergan said. And comedies with no feelings in them 
um, at all aren't funny. Even the Marx Brothers, their acting is really good. I just think more and more it's all the same thing. I don't think there's a big difference between comedy and drama. <laughs> well, I might have to go watch Devil Wears Prada just to self-medicate after seeing Manchester by the Sea. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I'm so glad we didn't see it together. I bounced out of there. I really? Like, oh, my God, we just saw the best movie ever. Oh, I wow. waited for the audience to clap. I was the only one clapping. Well, that Literally, okay. I started clapping thinking everyone was going to clap, and people just looked at me like I was crazy. You know? Um, oh, my goodness. I just think it was, uh, you know, I think it's one of the best films films that I've seen in forever and I it's think like the a um, cinematic slow swinging sledgehammer it starts slow oh, I London. thought I was back <laughs> in certain women but with plumbing problems oh, and then I didn't even know this big tragedy awaited that was just gonna land on me like a juggernaut from the sky okay okay yeah. but the humor before the tragedy when she comes down and yells at him to get rid of his friends yeah, see, and then he says, I'm, you're right, they have to leave, they're awful. I didn't <laughs> and she leaves and he, say, and he turns to them and says, we can't let her talk to us. That, I mean, come on, there was yeah, tremendous... Yeah, but you know you... me, I don't like it when parents and kids or spouses just oh, swear God. at each other with expletive, 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 expletive. Oh, I thought she was you know, great. I could have used it. another loving mm-hmm. touch. She was fantastic, but I wouldn't call that scene funny. I, th- I thought it was very funny. I thought oh, it was no. filled with and humor. I already had a sense of yeah. foreboding. Okay, I think we'll be moving right along now. <laughs> okay, you have all right. I need people to stand up for me. Okay, well, I need Manchester you guys by to- the Sea. I'll stand up for Amazon Studios. That was another Amazon production. <sighs> yeah, they're doing good. God, they're work. doing good work. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing very good work. But um, all right. But I need people to come on social media and tell me that they loved it as much as I did, or I'm going to feel like I'm this loser girl for sure that doesn't, you know, doesn't have a sense of kindness in myself. Casey Affleck deserves all the Oscar buzz he's getting, but just be prepared for very sad And I know you don't like this kind of conflict, but he does have some apparently personal issues that um, some people think get in the way. Oh, what what are those? Those, These have just passed me by. Well, he has some assault issues. Oh, he does? People... Yeah, on the set. Which on the I, now, set. by the way, I don't know if they're true or not. These are all alleged, but a lot of people are saying, I, you know, they don't want him to be nominated for the award because really? of really. I hadn't heard yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. Well, you clearly don't read the same things I do. Okay. <laughs> um, I must anyway, have been on I mean, the we don't. Pages. You know, I have no idea. I wasn't there. I don't know, but I do know there's controversy around his name. Okay, so now we can move to that lightweight Miss Sloan. <laughs> Lobbying is about foresight. But anticipating your opponent's moves. She's your enemy now. And devising countermeasures. Okay, can I just start by saying I am so grateful that a woman is allowed to play this role because 10 years ago, there's no way they would have given it to a woman. It would have been a man. But secondly, why do they have to make her be pill pushing like they did to Carrie in uh, Homeland? Remember when we Mm -hmm. talked about this in Homeland, like it was irritated me that Carrie just couldn't be her genius self without being a drug addict. And here they did it to Miss Sloan too. So I just want to start off by saying that. Well, I'm glad you're grateful for that because... On the opposite end of that argument, I thought, okay, once again, here's a character who will do anything to win. And that character now seems to me to be so been there, done that. So Really? Yes. And in Miss Sloan, I know that they wanted to create this high-paced, smart political thriller. But 
to me, they didn't bring up any fresh arguments about the Second Amendment. I just thought it was another movie with lobbyists counting votes. And so unlike Manchester by the Sea, where I immediately cared about the characters, but I was looking mm-hmm. for a plot because, you know, it is a slow, meandering, cinema verite-like movie. This was the opposite. It was cut and edited to be fast-paced with dialogue and this and that. It was very, Sor- you know, they call it Sorkonian now, Sorkin. It was very Sorkinish. But I didn't find it to be that. I They never got me to care about the characters. If you pointed me in the direction of Aaron Sorkin, I could name his characters. I could tell you mm-hmm. what each of their characteristics and flaws were. In this, I found all of the characters a little bit deplorable. So well, they meant, didn't yeah. get me to care. Oh, there was no hook there. Not a good word to use in today's world, by the way, deplorable. Okay, I've, the whole industry, the political lobbying, yeah, yeah. the politicians who allow themselves to be bought off, it wasn't showing me something fresh and insightful about D.C. or about work dynamics. So the well, ending that, that, I liked, but the beginning and the middle, it just never it never hooked me. Well, that battering dialogue, bam, 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 which Sorkin does so well, it makes you appreciate Sorkin more watching Miss Sloan because he can do it with humor, and also he never loses track of me. Now, I remember when I went to see Hamilton a, a year ago, um, the play, mm-hmm. what I thought about during Hamilton was I could not think about anything but Hamilton at all. I couldn't take one five-second break from what was happening in front of me because it was so quick that you had to stay with it the whole time. And I didn't mind staying with it the whole time. And I felt that way also watching Sorkin. But with this, I kept losing track of it. I'm sorry, what did she say? What did that mean? You know, it was either I'm not smart enough to follow whoever, you know, I'm not smart enough to follow it, or it, they just did it not well enough. Like, I don't think it was written well enough to be able to translate into my ear from the written page. I'm sure I could have done it if I was reading it, but hearing it made it very, very difficult. But secondly, the name of this movie, and you know I care about movie names, I'm so angry they made it Miss Sloan, because they would never have made it Mr. Sloan. Mr. Smith Mr. Sloan would sound so stupid, right? So it should have just been Sloan. Yes, you're absolutely right. You know, there's this is she should be genderless. Why do they not get? And of course, it's written by a man, and he doesn't know any better. But well, somebody knows better, and they have got to start getting this stuff right because it's really beginning to irritate maybe me. Maybe they thought more women would be likely to go if they knew there was a woman protagonist. Oh my God. I don't know, you know but it's sort of like. It, but it was a first-time screenwriter, Mrs. Doubtfire. You know what it is. We can go back to Mrs. Doubtfire. That was appropriate. This is not. And Mrs. Doubtfire, of course, was played by a man, so you know, right. not without irony. But the truth is, I would have rather been home watching House of Cards or Scandal. Because by the time you get to the payoff in this movie, unlike an Aaron Sorkin production, counter-arguments were not very well represented, nor did I know where the characters were coming from. So Jessica Chastain's character alludes at one point to her upbringing that made her into a professional liar, but we don't know anything about where she came from. I know. Well, they didn't wrap that up. I was going to talk about that too. They didn't wrap that up well. Nope, 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 They didn't even present the gift. Not only do they give us zero insight into Jessica Chastain's life, it's kind of like she fell out of outer space. (laughs) I was thinking maybe she's just fresh from the set of Interstellar, where she just kind of bounced in in her spacesuit. 
in that movie that, of course, also starred Casey Affleck. No, I you don't see, know Ms. what Sloan. happened to her, but I want to know, and I'm gonna maybe I'll make it up. Should I make it up? See, it was like Miss Sloan and Manchester by the Sea yeah. met in space. I don't know what happened to her. I'm sorry for whatever happened to her, but also I did admire her in many ways. But see, no matter how bad your childhood is, you can always go into politics. <laughs> Okay, Alrighty That's then. the moral of this movie. Oh, I don't know if that's... I don't know that the moral of this movie is that, but I think it's to think ahead one step. Winner. Lots one step ahead of the opposition. Her character was supposed to be this icy cold win-at-all-cost character, but frankly, I know that I might have a, you know, an alternative moral system, but none of the other characters was in a better position, morally speaking. In my opinion, oh, yes, so even were. that the wasn't guy, interesting. Yes, they were. The guy from uh, that she went to work for, he was played t- by ten times more. Mark Strong. No, I know they put he, him in that position, but honestly, if you think about it, he runs a lobbying firm. He goes and seeks her out, lures her away from the firm where she's working, pretends to be a reporter to do it, and then all of a sudden, boom! He's supposed to be this guy who is just appalled at her tactics. Yeah, but he didn't pretend he to be a reporter. He, was try- he, he did. Yeah, he, he took out. His little notebook, and he was making notes, no. and he asked her for a quote, and she says, no, what he paper did pretend to with? be a reporter, but yes. I thought that was a very clever way to get her to talk well, to him, clever, and I thought she re- appreciated it, the genius of it, too. There, it was I didn't clever, but it was really that. no different. It's like more duplicitous behavior to get what yeah. you want. And then all yeah, of a sudden, I mean, he turns around, and then he's supposed to just be horrified at the lengths she'll go to, when some of the links she was prepared to go to weren't dumb. So, for example, when he says, oh, what are you all James Bond now, and you know you want to sweep the office for bugs. That was not an unwarranted suspicion on her part. When you look at who she used to work with, that were all set to just wind up this inquisition for pure character assassination of her, which you can argue is you know worse than anything she did. How the hell did she manage that? You're a piece of work, Elizabeth. I was hired to win. I use whatever resource I have. Start an inquisition. I thought that was great, and I thought that her character was brilliant. And I thought in the end she did have morals. You know, she went to jail for God's sake. She didn't have to. And it, she know, set herself up. He, she set herself up to go to jail. I think I I liked her as a character, and I admired her, and I still do. And but my point I being, think, did you find her more morally reprehensible than all the other characters? I didn't find her morally represent, reprehensible. Did you think the movie wanted us to? Weren't we? Um, so, because I didn't find her. I never asked myself that question. What does the movie want me to feel? I don't, I don't give it that much power over me. I get to decide for myself when I'm in a movie what I'm going to feel. So I don't ask myself that question. But I will say that I I actually found some things in her some some attributes that I'd like to mirror. To tell you the truth, I thought there were lots of pieces of her that I thought were very strong and her her strength and even her use of how she got her sex. And I loved the way she was around food. God bless that girl. <laughs> and that line when she calls her up and says, look, and I'm hoping they're going to come up with a food pill soon. Like, she said, well, I eat here because, it, you know, it's just something, you know, it's like brushing my teeth. It's something I have to do. I mean, I, I thought there were many parts of her I really liked. I didn't find her morally reprehensible. Well, nor did I, but that's my point, is that everyone, which ultimately I find sexist, that they all find her so reprehensible. But all these characters who are judging her are just as bad. We have to make it personal. You know the word annihilate? 
It means reduced to nothing. I did like the end, but again, are we supposed to really think that she was growing a conscience or was it all part of her scheming? Which is the part I actually found interesting. Well, that what, she always had a conscience is what the point was. Mm, not always. You know, when it came right down to it, if she didn't have a conscience, she would have taken the job that uh, you're representing the, the NRA. But she herself said, I took it because it was a challenge and I really wanted to win. I didn't take it because of the issue. And I don't find anything wrong with that. I mean, you no, assume she, all no, these people are in it to win She stood up to the NRA it. guy in the office and said, I, I will not do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't believe in what you do is what she said. Why would I, you know? And also, I, I think the way he was talking about women, she was totally against. But then she turned around and I, I thought I thought actually every twist and turn was really well done. I just felt it was so complexly written that it was very hard to hear. And so I thought that the writing of the script was a bit problematic because you couldn't take it all in and really decipher it. I need to go back and see it two or three times. But I, I needed an emotional hook. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny because John Madden uh, directed it, and he did The Second Marigold. He did Mrs. Brown. He did Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. He directed Jessica Chastain in The Debt. When he read the script, he said, Jessica Chastain has to do this. She was the only one he saw playing the part, and I thought she did a great job. Was there somebody else you thought could play it? Well, it's funny. I've heard Jessica Chastain and Bryce Dallas Howard both say that they often get confused for the other. <laughs> so just in terms of looks. But um, yes, I think there are definitely other people who could have played it. I do too. And you know, uh, did you see the movie Any Given Sunday? Was that the football movie? Yeah. Okay. And the star was? Al Pacino, Dennis Quaid, and Cameron Diaz. Okay. I think Diaz would have been better than her. When you see Any Given Sunday and you see how Cameron Diaz can play that role of killer woman who's trying to decipher between women and man, you know, I mean, all those things in it. I don't know. I found Jessica a little bit too obtuse, maybe. You know, she really deserved her Oscar nominations for Zero Dark Thirty and The Help. Uh I think Jessica Uh Chastain is a great actor. I I enjoyed her in The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, that whole trilogy. But I don't know, this character, I really felt like the script needed to give us something earlier on that made her well, more than this yeah, one-dimensional Yeah, that's why I think Cameron Diaz costs. would have found the person inside. I don't think Jessica knew this woman. Or and John so Madden she just played it almost in an automatonic kind of way. And I think Cameron Diaz would have really pulled it out, and I'm sorry they didn't give it to her. That's what am I, I'm sticking with that. You know, there were a lot of great actors in this film. John Lithgow, yeah. who we recently saw playing Winston Churchill in The Crown. Christine Baranski. Sam Waterston was back playing his Law & Order Sam, not his okay, Grace no, and Frankie Sam. Okay, no, he wasn't Sam. playing his Law & Order. He was playing the newsroom with Allison Pill. Yes, you're right. Who was also it was in the newsroom with him, too. yes. And when yes. he starts yelling, it was right out of the newsroom. Right out of brilliant. it. Yep. Yeah. And Gugu Mabatha-Raw, she was the one that played the victim of the gun violence who was working for the lobbyists. She, we saw her recently in Easy. She played Sophie. She was also in the movie Concussion. I thought she did a great job in this movie. I like that movie Concussion. I forgot about that movie. Jake Lacey, who played the male escort, we saw him in How to Be Single. He was the yeah. one, the younger guy that was trying yeah, to... I did, and I thought he was a little bit off also. I just it was, think again, did. I thought that was a plot flaw. You know, mm-hmm. I thought, would her character really go for a male escort who is an unannounced escort when yeah. she realizes I mean, her reputation is yeah, everything? 
But Jessica actually interviewed, if you can believe this, she interviewed 12 lobbyists for the role and she wouldn't give out the names, but 11 were women and there was one guy. And the, the thing that she said about them is that one of the details she noticed is seven of the 11 women were wearing black nail polish when she talked As she to does them. in the movie. Mm-hmm. I know. And just she insisted on wearing that. And then I thought to myself, that is sort of odd. Don't you think it's odd that seven of the 11 of them were wearing black nail polish? It's Did very they... strong, she said, and very slick. And there was something aggressive, almost masculine about it. So I wore it. A little goth. <laughs> A little vampire I don't know. I just thought to myself, wait, that's what you got out of interviewing 11 of these people? Is to wear black I don't know to me I I thought Jessica 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 you know where's Cameron Diaz when I need her you know and I think Diaz doesn't get the best roles and again this would have been I think an Academy Award nomination role for her I think she could have found the humanity in that woman and brought it out better I don't know I think I needed it needed to be in the script (laughs) you know this is another detail but it, it kind of threw me out of it for a bit there when we see her did you really think that she would be reading a John Grisham novel Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Really? Not the Washington Post? Sure. No, you don't think, I mean, you know, the firm, you don't think, uh, yes, absolutely. I think. See, they gave us so few insights into her character that the little morsels that they dropped, I'm like, I'm not really buying it. Yeah, no, you're right. But that's why you needed somebody who could tell us more about who she was uh, inside. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know? You know, a few other actors, Noah Robbins, who played the little guy on her team with the glasses, he plays Bryce on Younger. Is that where I saw him? Yeah. I knew I'd seen him somewhere, and I knew you would know where. Yeah, Dylan Baker from The Good Wife, he played the TV interviewer. Hmm. But didn't you find yourself asking in certain scenes, surely one of these people would have worn a wire just to protect themselves? No, I don't know. Did you? Maybe Did I'm you feel thinking like, uh, you know, a, a person with an alternative moral system. I'll tell you more and more we are realizing, though, as, as the world goes around the way it does and the way they got that bug to go in the car, uh-huh. more and more we're realizing that there is no privacy. There is no safe place to have a conversation, never more so than when they show all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, interestingly enough, the script, which, again, I think was part of the weak point, is I thought the script was too complex for audio. But... Um, it was uh, on the 2015, was on the top five blacklist, which Hollywood puts out, which is a list of the best scripts from Hollywood that are it's done annually. Mm-hmm. And it was on that list. And I thought that was interesting. Okay, so I guess you're not going to go be a lobbyist in Washington, huh, O'Toole? No, but I will definitely be back for Jessica Chastain's next movie, The Zookeeper's Wife which is a lit lover selection based on the book. Yes, we're going to do that. We're going to do that movie. But um, <laughs> I'm going to need a little time to get over her in, in Miss Sloan. And I'm not going to call it Miss Sloan anymore. I'd like to end by saying let's all, moving forward, refer to it as Sloan. Well, see, luckily I already got over Sloan because I saw it before Manchester by the Sea. And that just, you know, swept my mind clear of everything else. There you go. So I think it was a huge week at the movies and I loved every minute of it. And I'm sorry you didn't know, Tool. I hope you had some popcorn or something to sort of offset the problems. <laughs> well, you know, when they come out with the vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, sugar-free popcorn, I must just do it. <laughs> okay, what of? 